0: these days about the tabernacle life, tabernacle life. And may I say to every believer that's joining us uh, that the tabernacle life is for you. Tabernacle life is for you. The tabernacle life is the triumphant life, or as Jesus called it, he called it the abundant life. So what excites me most about the study of the tabernacle is that it promotes, it produces, You say, what does the the study of the tabernacle promote? What does it produce? Well, very simply, it produces godliness. Godliness. It produces godliness. And the tabernacle shows us not only the way to God, but the the way to fellowship with Him. The way to fellowship with Him. You can put it down. Until you find God, until you fellowship with God, until you find favor with God, life will continue to be empty without peace and without purpose it won't be all that you want life to be to put it very simple it just won't be you say every pastor needs to know the answer to two questions are those i pastor becoming more like jesus and number two are they growing in godliness and so as we look through we need to be encouraged if we're we're looking you say there we are are you growing are you growing? We like to ask that question. Are you growing? Are you learning more? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you uh, Are you becoming more? And we could say, well, you're doing well. Uh, if so, now, as we continue to learn about tabernacle life, let's look in Exodus chapter 30. So far in our study of the tabernacle, we've seen this. We've seen the gospel, the good news of the tabernacle. We've seen the gospel, the good news of the tabernacle. We've seen the gate of the tabernacle we've seen the guarantee of the tabernacle. There's a guarantee that goes with it. Now, beginning in verse uh, Exodus chapter 30, beginning at verse number 17. Beginning in verse number 17. So Exodus chapter number 30, beginning in verse number 17. The Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. Verse 20. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, and they shall not die. And it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him, and to his seed throughout their generations. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. Somebody says, not really. Talk about them washing their hands. And with our current pandemic, everybody's learned to wash their hands a whole lot more, haven't you? you? You start washing your hands. You get the hand sanitizer. It's everywhere. Hand sanitizer, clean up. Clean up, wash your hands. Make sure that you wash, wash, wash your hands. We uh, we could have a lot of fun with that, but. Uh, you realize that as we go through this portion of Scripture, I want you to know we're hearing a lot uh, these days about mask wearing and hand washing. And as we do our part in stopping the spread, today's emphasis is on hand washing. Today's emphasis in the tabernacle was on hand washing. Isn't that kind of funny? God has a way, doesn't he? i uh, reminded of a, a saying. I learned this when I was young. And it goes like this, cleanliness is next to godliness. Miss Rachel, you, you should have already had an amen out there. I can't believe I didn't hear it. That expression is not a Bible passage. It's not, you know, I, I know that uh, some of you wish that it was, but it's not. But it's certainly a Bible principle. So much so that John Wesley included it in a sermon in 1770. And we've been saying it ever since. I think Wesley had been reading the prophet Isaiah where he said this in Isaiah 1.6, Wash yourself, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Stop doing evil. So the expression cleanliness is next to godliness might not be in the Bible, but godliness is not possible without cleanliness. Godliness isn't possible without cleanliness. And that's what was taking place at the labor. So today... You walk into church for worship. You come in here, and we have back in the back, we have some hand sanitizer. We have uh, hand sanitizer. You can go in, back in the back, and there's hand sanitizer. And you say, what do we got to do? We, we worship. We find the hand sanitizers. We clean our hands. And we walk into the tabernacle for worship. They found the labor to walk in. And guess what they had to do? We just read it a minute ago. What did they have to do? They had to wash their hands and their feet. Their hands and their feet. Now, see, my feet, they wouldn't be, you wouldn't want to wash my feet. You probably wouldn't want to see me washing my feet. I have gross feet. Even though the Bible calls my feet beautiful because I preach the gospel, my feet are not pretty. I'll just go ahead and say that. That's why you never see them out of my boots. They stay in my boots all the time. They stay in my boots. Now, some of you, you like to wear your sandals everywhere you go. Some of you like to wear your sandals everywhere you go. Now, I want you to know something. I know. See, I'm going to pick on Miss Heather. It's going to get me in trouble. But I happen to know that Miss Heather wears sandals a lot. Not everywhere, but she wears them a lot. And there are some days at the end of the day that I come walking past her and she's sitting on the couch and she's got her feet up in the air and the bottom of her feet because she's been in sandals all day. They are. Don't get them on me. They're dirty. They're dirty. Now, all of a sudden, she's checking her feet. Just so you know, everybody look. She's checking to see, are they dirty right now? <laughs> I just gave her a complex, and I am in trouble later. I guarantee. I promise. I am. But you know what's funny is, is we look at that, and you go, we we have a way of thinking and saying, well, those folks in the Old Testament, you realize a lot of you wear flip-flops. I've seen some of you. <clears throat> wear flip-flops all summer long, and I know that your moms and your dads have said something like this, you need to wash your feet you need to wash your feet and uh, you say, oh no no, you make sure What do you? what's said when you go to take a shower make sure you wash your feet wash your feet I think that's funny because God told them back in the Old Testament when they went into the labor and they went into worship, guess what they were to wash they were to wash their hands and their feet they wash their hands and feet. There was no entering the presence of God with dirty feet. Now, I like that concept, don't you? Don't come to church with stinky feet. I could have a lot of fun making a lot of jokes about not coming to church with stinky feet. All because it happened back in the Old Testament. But You know what? It's better than that. It's better than that. And here's what was taking place at the labor. You walk into church for worship. You had hand-side chairs. You get to cleanse your feet. You get to cleanse your hands. You didn't enter into the presence of God without first being clean. You didn't enter in first without being clean. Do you remember what the first piece of furniture was once they passed through the gate? The first piece of furniture when they passed through the gate, (laughs) get ready, here it comes. It was the brazen altar. The brazen altar was the place where they had the horns that they tied the animal to and they would slaughter the animal. And there would be blood all over the place. By the way, if you have blood all over the place from slaughtering an animal, don't you think it probably got on your hands and your feet? Ooh. Wait a minute. The brazen altar, the place of sacrifice and substitute, the way to God begins by going through the gate, and that gate is Jesus who said in John 10, 9, I am the door. If any man enters by me, he will. Once through the gate, they would be confronted with the brazen altar and the labor. The brazen altar pictured what happened on the cross where the Lamb of God died as our substitute in the sacrifice so that you and I might live. That's an example. We see God's mercy at the brazen altar. See, mercy is not getting what you deserve. It's not getting what you deserve. It's why a person sometimes pleads for mercy when they're standing before the judge. They're saying to the judge, please don't give me what I deserve. I can tell you this, at at the brazen altar, they didn't get what they deserved. No, reconciliation with God, that's not what they deserved. And it took a blood sacrifice and a substitute to make that reconciliation happen. I was recently driving on the highway and I was passed by a van I saw this really cool thing it's a message and it's on the side and it said blood assurance donate today blood assurance donate today I had to scratch my head and think about that while I was driving down the road because I said blood assurance thing the blood that was donated at the altar which is a picture of the blood donated at Calvary provided by an unblemished lamb of God gives us the assurance of our salvation resulting in peace thank God for our blood assurance that I have the assurance of my salvation because of the blood of Jesus Christ I can be thankful there we see God's mercy at the brazen altar we also see God's grace at the labor. God's grace at the labor. If if mercy is not getting what you deserve, then grace is getting what you don't deserve. See, it was at the labor where they were cleansed, something they didn't deserve. Something they, they didn't deserve. So reconciliation took place at the brazen altar. Sanctification took place at the labor. So understand it this way. We see God's mercy at the altar, and we see God's grace at At the labor, So there's mercy and grace at the tabernacle. And let me remind you, we both need, we need both God's mercy and we need his grace. We need his mercy. We need him not giving us what we deserve. We need his grace, him giving us what we don't deserve. Thank God for the altar and thank God for the labor. Do you realize that mercy and grace, they just go together? It's not very often you can look at somebody and go, well, let's separate the two. No, mercy and grace go together. It's real hard to separate the two. So, what we've learned about this living, living the tabernacle life from the labor, and I find it helpful when approaching the passage of Scripture to keep in the back of my mind three questions. Three questions. So, here come your three questions. What it mean then? What does it mean now? So what did it mean then, what does it mean now, and what does it mean to me personally? See, so before I walk out of here, I want to know what it means to me personally. What did it mean then, what does it mean now, what does it mean to me personally? And, and with those three questions in mind, let's consider the grace at the tabernacle, seen at the labor, seen at the dish, where you get washed up, you get cleaned up. And I want to show you three truths I believe impact our lives. And so these truths go like this. The restrictions of the labor in Exodus chapter 30. Verses 18 and 19. He says, Thou shalt make a labor of brass, and his foot also of the brass, and to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. See, there it is. And then verse number 19. And Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands, and feet thereat. So they're going to wash their hands. So the priests are going to wash their hands. The children of Israel are going to wash their hands. With hands splattered with blood, feet dirty from the dust of the tabernacle, Prove. A court, the priest would move quickly to the brazen labor for cleansing. And so here's the restriction. That labor was for the priest only, not for the congregation. See, each year the high priest washed on the day of atonement, making atonement for himself and the children of Israel, according to Leviticus chapter 16. But on every other day of the year, the priest had to wash the defilement from their hands and feet before entering the tabernacle to serve. How cool would it be if every uh, if, if we were to set up the bowls and chairs right there in the vestibule and before you entered in you had to wash up before you came in. Gotta wash your hands, gotta wash your feet. You'd have to sit down and wash your hands, wash your feet before you're able to come in to worship. See, if only the high priest could wash the labor, that that raises a question. That raises a question in my mind. Who were the high priests? Well, Aaron was appointed by God as a high priest. His sons were also priests, and being priests, they could approach God. A priest was somebody who represented the people to God, whereas a prophet was somebody who represented God to the people. So in the days of the tabernacle, people couldn't go into the presence of God for themselves. That is, they couldn't go in directly. They had to have a priest going for them. Representing them under the law, only the high priest had access in the tabernacle life in the old testament. Only the high priest had access into the holy of holies, into into the to where God was. So, what does that have to do with us? Well, everything. I'll tell you why. Jesus doesn't need a priest anymore. Because you are a priest, you are a believer. That's pretty cool. I'm a believer priest. So under grace, we have access to God because we now priest, believer priest. See, when Jesus stepped into your life, you entered the priesthood according to Titus chapter 3. In verses 5 through 7 It says, "But According to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, the regeneration, and the renewing of the spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You say, Pastor, I didn't know I was a priest. Well, you know now. You know now. You say, well, I don't feel like a priest. Then get over it, because you are. I love you. Not because I say you are, but because God says you are. When we read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal generation priesthood somebody says I'm nobody somebody looks at you and says you're nobody some bully comes around and says you're worthless guess what you can look at him and you can say I am of a royal priesthood you better get out of my way I got a royal priesthood I am <laughs> I am somebody because somebody loves me And by the way he loved me enough that he died you got a friend like that hmm, Take that, baby. you look at it and you go huh wait a minute here I'm somebody it's good news that we are a royal priesthood you ready for this a, ro- a holy nation his own special people that you might proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into the light anybody like the darkness Not me. Not me. When it's pitch black, I don't want to be in the pitch black. I want a little bit of light. Let me turn on the light. Let me turn on the light. Do you know what the light does, by the way? I could take a light in people's house. I do it every single day. I walk in and I walk up to the wall with my light and I say, Do you want to see the blemishes on your wall? Do you want to see the blemishes on your wall? And I've had people tell me, and I walk right up to the wall, and they're looking at the wall, and I said, Do you see? That's not a good example. Do you see any blemishes on this wall right here? And they'll go, No. No. And then I'll take my light, and I'll show them a way that we can look at that wall with the light pointed a specific direction. And I said, Do you see those? And there will be these little round nail pops that are on there. There will be these seams and the joints of... Uh, of the uh of the drywall and you could see where that seam would run right across there you could see where every one of the nails is in the drywall and where they healed the drywall from all of those and it's really kind of a neat thing because you look at it and you say look at all the scars that have already been healed you think your pastor has thought about the gospel in home inspection you ought to hear me talk about walls Jesus has a way of healing scars, doesn't he? Oh, how exciting it is. People don't realize. We're setting the preface. You asked me the right question, and we've already given you the answer in sharing the gospel. But do you realize what is it that made the difference in looking at that wall? Who wasn't more darkness? The light shows all the scars. The light shows all the scars. All the wounds that are on that wall. And he says, praises to him who's called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. I'm thankful that he's healed. But I want you to notice Revelation 1.6 also says this. He made us kings and he made us priests. I'm a king. I'm a king. Kings and priests. Here we go. Revelation 1.6, he's made us kings and priests to his God. And Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let it be so. And that's so good to make a one vocal chord preacher. want shout. You say, There we are. Let's just go ahead and shout. Because I know that I've been made a king and a priest. You, when you come to know Jesus, been made a king priest. Some of you girls are going Does that make me a queen? Yes, it makes you a queen, all right. Just so we get it right. Let me tell you all you believer priest something about the grace of the tabernacle You don't have to go to any other human being to be in the presence of Almighty God. You don't have to go to any other human being. No other human being. He said, nope, nope, nope. You need Jesus. In other words, you have direct access to God the moment Jesus steps into your life. The moment he steps into your life, you have direct access. That's pretty cool. I have direct access to heaven. As soon as I ask Jesus to come into my heart to be my Lord and to be my Savior, he steps in. You don't believe it? Then listen to Romans chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith unto his grace, which we stand. By the way, we're standing in grace. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Do you know why so many believer priests have no power over temptation, no passion for the things of God, no pursuit for holiness, and no prayers being answered? It's because they want to walk through the gate, stop off at the altar, and head straight to the Holy of Holies without ever getting cleaned up, without ever washing up, without ever confessing up. See, first John tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us. They come to the brazen altar for reconciliation with God, but then they don't move. You say that they, they move not to, to, to the, the labor for sanctification. They choose not to be cleansed from the world's defilement and leave a clean and separated life i should not look like the world you ought not to look like the world we shouldn't dress like the world there ought to be something different about us because i'm a believer priest you're a believer priest you know jesus you ought to be different it ought to be wait a minute you're one of them christian people how cool is that you're one of those christian people i shared it with the adults this morning in the worship service And it was so funny. Yesterday, I was in a home. I was in a home. But guess what? They don't believe like you and I do. They believe in Allah. They're Muslim. And because of their Muslim faith, and and the gentleman that was there, he says to me, he looked at the side of my van, and, and and on the side of my van, there's a cross and there's a shield. There's a cross and a shield. And he says really kind of funny because he says you must be one of those one of those Christians now I hope that my life identified me that way if the sign on the, uh, the side of my van does great but the reality is is are we light in our dark world are we different than the world do we talk differently we should you know what? The world has a way of saying words that we shouldn't say. We don't have to have the same attitude. Matter of fact, we don't have to have the same sassiness that the world has, right, girls? Don't need the same sassiness that the world has. Now, you don't pick on. You know what? The reality is, is we ought to be different. People ought to see. Wait a second. There's a child of a of of the one true God see for priests only now through Christ the the grace, I'm sorry let me back up get where I'm supposed to be the grace of the tabernacle begins with the restrictions of the labor I want you to notice for priests only now that means you got to be saved by the way for that cleansing to take place it's a priest only remember you're a believer priest if you know Jesus if you don't know Jesus then you know what that washing, that cleansing, it doesn't take place. That restriction has forever been removed so that we can now be in the presence of God. You can wash up. it can be, We can be cleaned up. That sanctification takes place. Sanctified at the labor. Now don't stop at the altar. Head, head to the labor and be cleansed. <coughs> now the grace of the tabernacle continues. Not only were the restrictions of the labor, which have been lifted, but let's look at another piece of that labor that makes some sense to us. There's reflections. Exodus 38 and verse number 8. Exodus 38, verse number 8. He made the labor of bronze and its uh, base of bronze from the bronze mirrors from of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Now, I don't want an answer in this because I really don't want to be in too much trouble here, but... I haven't met very many women that haven't had a mirror. And when servant women gave their mirrors as an offering to be used as a labor, I believe it was a sacrificial gift. So let me ask you a question about your bathroom at home. Do you have a sink where water runs? You say yes. What was uh, What's directly above the sink? You say a mirror. What you have in your bathroom is very much like that labor in the tabernacle. In fact, the word labor sounds a lot like our word lavatory. And there's a reason for that. It had mirrors all around the top of the labor for reflection, and the water below for cleansing. As Aaron and the the high priest and his sons left the brazen altar, made their way to the labor, what do you think they saw immediately? Let me ask you. When you walk into your bathroom, you approach the lavatory. Do you take a look? How many of you can can walk past the mirror without taking a glance? You walk past, you don't look. See, most of you know it's there. Now, some folks have mirrors that are too tall for them. My mom can't see in her mirror. It's above her head. We're not going to pick on her about that anymore. But it's there. That's what it's there for, right? For you to take a glance so you can, you know, Primp on your way by that's what it's there for that's the reason it's there well their reflection that's the first thing those priests would see they would see as they were reaching the labor the closer they got to the labor the clearer the reflection the clearer the reflection the more dirt and the more defilement they would see the closer you get the more dirt the more defilement they see You say, how did the priest get so dirty? The same way you get dirty. By living in a dirty world. By living in a dirty world. That's how. You can't live in this world without getting some dirt on it. Your eyes get dirty looking at things we ought not to look at. Even though those things, we might not have any control over it. How about your mind? Your mind gets dirty looking at things, seeing things, going... The things going on around us, our mind fills with things that ought not to be. Our hands get dirty. And the more that we grow and the closer we get to the Lord, the more dirt of sin bothers us. And the priest walked up to the labor and they could see the dirt on their face, on their arms, as well as on their feet, splattered with blood and on their hands. So what did they do? They had to begin to wash. Did you know that we have a labor today? God hasn't left us without a labor. In fact, you probably have one at home. I have a labor. Yeah. In James chapter 1, Pastor James would tell us this way. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, he said, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. It's like somebody that looks in the mirror. He observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So, you walk in and you look in that mirror. A modern day labor. And the more time we spend in labor, the more dirt we see. Because when you take a look at the mirror, you see yourself as God sees you. You see the defilement. How many of you have looked in the mirror? Sunday to Sunday ago, two Sundays ago. I looked in the mirror. I was all ready to go to church. I looked in the mirror and I had a red spot right there. On the, of the, on the very end of my nose so much so that I could cross my eyes and I could see the red spot. Oh, it bothered me. So bad. So what did I do? I ran into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I looked right at that red spot. I'm looking cross-eyed at that red spot to see what in the world is it and I'm thinking it's a zit and I'm getting ready. You teenagers love it. I'm going to pop that thing. I'm going to make that mashed potatoes and come out with the red streamer coming right behind it. I'm going to have a great time with it. It's going to be gross, nasty, and all over the mirror because that is what it is. Nasty. That's what I thought it was. But you know what? When I got to the mirror, that's not what it was. No. I was just bleeding. no idea why I was just bleeding on the very end of my nose I'm not sure who bit me or how I don't know what happened I just had blood on the end of my nose and I'm going wait a minute but I could see looking at that thing I got blood and it needs to be washed and you know what else I couldn't come to church with blood on the end of my nose because I can just imagine a couple of you I come walking in the door and we start singing there's a new name written down in glory, and the pastor has blood on his nose. You couldn't even get through the song, no way, no how. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood on the preacher. I mean, come on. Really? No. What did I have to do? I had to clean that blood up, didn't I? I had to get that off of me and get all settled up. I had to put a little pressure on there and make sure it stopped. I walked over to church holding my nose, hoping that when I got to church that day that it wouldn't bleed when I took my finger off my nose. Because I didn't want everybody going, look at the preacher's nose. You know what? You see the devilment. You see the change in your face when you look in the mirror. You see it just as God sees it. You know, the question that I have for us as we walk along the way, you see the devilement you pick up along the way in your daily walk. God's word revealing the dirt in our life is like turning on a light in a dark room and you see things you didn't see before. What do dirty hands need? I need to wash, wash, wash my hands, right? I need to wash, wash, wash my hands. What do dirty feet need? Come on now. What do dirty feet need? Need to wash, wash, wash your feet need to wash you say what are dirty hands they need washing With dirty feet they need washing what does a dirty face need mom to go like this then clean it up everybody's going ah and you know the older you get the more you go no mom please don't do that that's a little gross I'm not that little kid anymore just the honest the goodness truth But what does a dirty face need? needs you to wash it. It needs to be washed, doesn't it? You look and you say, washing. What the labor was to the high priest, the word of God is to you and I. It's to help us to see what we need to to wash. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 26. That he might sanctify, that he might cleanse, that he might wash. That he might cleanse his church with the washing of water by the word. First Timothy chapter four and verse number five. Paul speaks of our being sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Romans twelve two. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You look and you say, there are the pieces. There are the pieces. Roman or I'm sorry. Psalm chapter one nineteen verse number eleven. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Ladies, help me out and sit down so I can keep focused. Psalm 119 and verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And thank God for the truth that Isaiah declared in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Woo! hallelujah. God's word never fails. We have a lasting labor. It's here. In the labor, God shows us the things in our life that he's not pleased with. God shows us. He points them out so that we can wash them out. We can wash them out. We're talking about the grace of the tabernacle and the grace that can be seen by the restrictions of the labor, the reflections of the labor, what the labor was to the priest. The word of God is for us. It guides us. It washes us. It it reveals the dirt in our life. This book will keep us from sin or sin will keep you from this book. It's very simple. You look at it and you say, this book keeps us from sin or this sin will keep us from this book. And the grace of the tabernacle can also be seen. Number three, the results of the labor. What's the results? It's a motivation. First of all, the motivation. Back in Exodus chapter 30 where we we were, there's something interesting about the priests and the labor. There's an expression used twice that caught my eye. It's the expression of this one right here. Hang on because the expression is pretty important. Lest they die. Do this and, or you die. Lest you die. If you don't do this, guess what? Lest you die. Death is an option. All of a sudden we go, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait a minute. Lest you die. There's a little bit of moment. If I tell you, if you do this, you're going to die. You do this, you're going to die. There's a problem there. There's nothing like a little motivation to help you accomplish something that otherwise wouldn't get done. There was a man who often walked through the cemetery on his way home from work. One night, unaware of a new grave that had been dug in his path, he tumbled into that new grave. Can you imagine walking through the cemetery on your way home from work? And he fell in a grave, six feet, boom, down in the bottom of the grave. He struggled for 30 minutes, and he struggled, and he couldn't get out of the grave until finally he gave up, and he just decided, I'm going to settle down for the night. (laughs) Obviously, they're going to bury somebody tomorrow, so they'll get me out in the morning. An hour later, a farmer who was out hunting raccoons came walking through the same cemetery. Guess what he did? He, too, fell in the grave. Oh, man. The farmer started a desperate attempt to get out, unaware that there was anyone else in the grave. The first man listened to him for a few minutes. Then he reached over in the pitch darkness, and he laid a hand on the man's shoulder, and he says, you can't get out of here. But he did. He did. It's amazing how a little motivation can help you do great things, can help you do more than you think you can do. I read about a company in Michigan that struggled getting their employers, employees to work on time. They're having a terrible time. Nobody gets to come to work on time. So they started providing 45 parking spaces for their 50 employees. Wait a minute. There's five of them that are not going to get a parking space, all right? You talk about motivation to get to work on time. I want me to have I'm going to have a parking space. I gotta beat the others there. Oh my land someone ask a bank robber why he robbed banks he replied this because that that's there the money is that's where the money is there's the motivation God not only instructed the priest to wash at the labor he gave them a little motivation lest you die yo priest guess what don't do it right you're dead Try that one on. God instructed the priests to wash at the labor. He gave them a little motivation, lest you die. Do you think they were ever too busy to pass by the labor? Probably not. You can know they made sure they had labor time. You, the very lives, depended upon it. You think they took time to clean up? To wash up? you say well if I'm a believer priest and I've picked up some dirt in my life that hasn't yet been washed why am I not dead well what makes you think you're not preacher that's not very nice well think about it let me show you something. when your purity stops your passion for God and the things of God get that dirt washed away and see your passion for God returns See when I get dirty, my passion has a way of going away and staying instead of staying hot. How about this one? When your purity stops, your fellowship with God dies. Filthiness is a fellowship breaker. That dirtiness breaks our fellowship with God. You can't be dirty without driving a wedge between you and and God, when your purity stops, the sweetness of praise to God dies. No wonder your worship is lifeless and meaningless. Washing at the labor restores passion, restores fellowship, restores praise. The labor not only shows them the dirt, but supplied them a way to get clean. Not only the reflection, but it helps them to see what the, the, what the water was to them. The word is to us. We not only read about their motivation, But you ready? There's one more. We read about their provision. Their provision. In John chapter 13, we find Jesus. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. When he came to Peter in verse number 6, Peter said, Lord, you're not washing my feet. Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now. But you will know after this. Jesus said, you're not washing my feet. No, no, no. Jesus said to him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus wasn't talking about physical dirt. He was talking about spiritual dirt. He was talking about our walk. That's why Jesus said in verse number 8, if I don't wash you, you have no part. In other words, as long as you have dirty feet, as long as you have spiritual dirt, you can't have fellowship with me. Verse number 10, he used to bathe literally. The word is having been bathed. The word translated bathe there was also used to describe someone who had taken a bath, gotten their clothes on, put their sandals on, and walked to somebody's house. When they arrived, their body was still clean, but guess what? Their feet, they wore sandals. Their feet were dirty. They would pick up some dirt along the way, along their walk over. Now pick up in verse 10, and it says, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. This word wash means to rinse off. Peter didn't need a bath. He already had a bath. He just needed to rinse his feet off of the dirt he had picked up. see it his physical bath is a picture of salvation we read in john 15 3 you are already clean because of the word which i've spoken john 13 10 he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet in other words once you're bathed once you come to know jesus as savior you're saved saved once saved forever saved 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 there's no second salvation no need Once the body's been baked, you don't have to, to wash the whole thing. But there's a problem. Here's what prevents us from experiencing God's best and his blessings. That we have had a bath, but we still pick up dirt along the way. We wear those sandals and we get the feet dirty. We get our feet dirty because we act like the world instead of living like The journey doesn't mean we need another bath. We just need to rinse our feet off. And when Jesus said in verse number 10, when he says, need only to wash his feet, he was talking uh, about our need for daily forgiveness of the dirt we pick up walking through this world. See, without a foot washing, our fellowship with God is broken, put down. You put it down this way. Bathed saints need a daily foot washing. I need a daily time of confessing, confession, and I need a daily time of reality, of time with God. I need a time where I spend with him. Can I remind you that Judas was there as well? Remember Judas? See, that's why Jesus said in verse number 11, you are not all clean. You see, Judas, didn't need a rinsing he needed a regeneration he needed salvation Judas never had a spiritual bath he needed more than a foot washing he needed a bath he needed to be saved so what good is a foot washing if your whole body's dirty that's a tough question well it's simple back at the labor of the high priests highly motivated to wash their feet and hands Their hands speak of the work, their feet speak of their walk. Spend time at the labor, your life depends upon it. Labor time restores passion for the things of God. Our fellowship with God and our praise to God. And thank God for the grace of the tabernacle. Thank God for that grace. You look at that thing and it looked like a mirror in there and it showed them. take you there. because remember their job. They came into the brazen altar, and remember they tied them up, and they take the animals' life, and when they did so, the blood would drip. You realize that they were walking around right there, and all of that. Now let me ask you a question. Some of you know this. What happens when the dirt that's outside gets a little moist? This. I love it. I love the answer that I just got. I wish everybody could have seen the faces that I just received. Because they were nasty, gross. That squish, that squeeze, that ugh that went with everybody's face. Why? Because it's gross. Now, how about if I were to take you one step further? And this is a deep step. But if you realize those priests, they were standing in. psalmist says search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. David would pray that prayer and when he did God had a way of showing him exactly what it was wrong in his life. And I know this that if I take the time and I say Lord Jesus and I be still long enough to let God speak and I'm quiet long enough to let God speak and I say Lord Jesus search me and show me. See if there be any wicked way God has a way of popping something in my mind that more times than not I need. Ask us to have a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Be still and be quiet. Be still and be quiet. And I want you to ask Jesus. I want us to ask him. And say, search me, O God. And see if there be any wicked way. Any way in me. popped in our head that Jesus has reminded us about. And I'm going to help us with another biblical principle. And that is to say this. If we mean it, say, Lord Jesus, I want you to cleanse me. whatever it is that he brought to mind, Lord Jesus, Jesus, as we come to you, we've done a very simple practice of just asking you to forgive us of a sin that you've shown or demonstrated in our life. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us tonight. Help us not only to be in business with you, to be real with you. cleanse our feet and our hands to purify our